I want to welcome you into the Sunday preaching podcast of the Point Church located in beautiful Perdido Key, Florida. I'm Tim Coleman, the senior pastor, and we believe strongly in the expositional preaching of God's Word that builds our faith and grows us up in Christ. I'm glad you're either downloading the sermon or listening live to our service, and I pray that this message is a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join me as we get to the point. Isn't it good to be together? I just sense a sweet spirit in the room this morning as we are worshiping our Lord. And, you know, when I think about the last 12 days or so, it's just a blur. All right, can, can you relate to that? Just since, since that storm came through, moving at a whopping two miles an hour, never in my life did I think something like that would happen. Sally took her time getting through here. But, man, everything that we've seen over the last 12 days has just absolutely blown my mind. You've heard Pastor Tim earlier talking about how many ministries came through here. And, y'all, that was a God thing. It's a God thing for a semi-truck full of Gatorade and Propel water and MREs and all that to be here on this property, okay? Never, I've never seen anything like that. You're going to remember the experience that you've had over the last couple of weeks, probably for the rest of your life. I can remember where I was on the Mississippi coast when Hurricane Katrina came through. I can remember what I did, uh, ripping out carpet and drywall for days and... Man, that's something that you remember for forever because it's different. It's a disruption in your life. And sometimes God can use disruptions like a storm to do something in your soul. Okay? God can use disruptions like that for us. This entire year has been a disruption, right? If you go back, man, I, we were, Joe and I were talking about this this week. Um, last, toward the end of 2019, our staff came together. We went and got a hotel room over in Pensacola Beach, and we spent a couple days. Y'all, we planned out everything. <laughs> January through December, we knew when revival was going to happen. We knew the sermon series we were going to get to. We had youth camp. Y'all, youth camp was planned out 18 months in advance, and that didn't happen. Okay. Can I just tell you that we're in a time of disruption and we need to stay focused on what's important right now, okay? Nothing like a hurricane coming through your town will remind you the things that are near and dear to your heart. Y'all, there's times where we stress and we bring anxiety into our life because we want more stuff. And then the storm comes through and blows it all away. I'm reminded of the relationships that I have. I'm thankful for my family. I think about how many people, uh, the people of God have come together over the last couple of weeks in this community over in Alabama and how we're able to serve the community, how we're able to point people who have never been inside a church and point them towards Jesus Christ by giving them a box of MREs, some water, Gatorade, hot meals. Y'all, I can't begin to tell you how many thousands of hot meals have been served out here I, I can still hear Dave Stark's voice going through my head going, okay, just 15 meals, and us going, oh, Lord, help us. We've got to catch up, okay? Those kind of things that have been happening out here in the parking lot. And can I just say how thankful I am for every single one of you who's been serving? You may not have been up here. You may have been in your neighborhood. You may have been open in your home and serving meals. You may have been loaning generators and gasoline. You may have been going and cleaning up yards and tearing out sheetrock and ripping out carpet and serving hot food, whatever the case may be. I'm thankful for the people of God who have been serving our community over these last few days. 
It's so encouraging to my soul to look around and see so many people unified together around the cross of Jesus. Because look, if I can just be honest with you and in the flesh for a minute, I've been a little bit aggravated with some people that I've seen complaining about not being able to binge watch their Netflix shows because their Cox cable isn't back up yet, okay? And I want to say, why don't you go serve a meal or cut somebody's grass, okay? That's just where we're at. (laughs) I apologize. Let me get back to my notes. been incredible over the last couple weeks to see what the Lord has done. There's no other way to explain what we've seen happen in our community. All of the good things. Look, I've talked to some of you this week, and some of you have said, where is God in this? We see him all around us. We've just got to look. We just have to pick up our eyes from the mess and look at the cross of Christ and look at our community and look at all the opportunities that we have to serve to see where God is to see the opportunity that we have of having people come through. Uh, there have been some, some prayer requests that have been going out from people who have been coming in to get food and to get help from the church. And y'all, there are, is an insane amount of hurt in our community. There is a lost and dying world outside of these walls that we need to be reaching out into. And when we become selfish and when we become focused on ourselves, we are not fulfilling the mission that God has given us. We've got to stay focused on what he has called us to do. We have to come together around a mind of unity. Look, can I just tell you something? I haven't had a single political conversation since this storm came through at all. (laughs) The only thing that I've talked about is what do you need? Are you okay? How's your family? Okay. Can we stay focused on what's important? Maybe we need a disruption to come through and for us to say Jesus is what's important. We need to see that there's a lost and dying world. There's a sense of urgency around the Great Commission. We don't need to put off sharing the gospel with our neighbors, with our friends, with our families, because we don't know what tomorrow holds. This year, more than any other time that we we know of, we do not know what tomorrow holds. But here's something that I know. The kingdom of God is bigger than the Point Church. It's bigger than Perdido Key. It's bigger than Alberta. It's bigger than Florida or Alabama or America. And we have seen that happen over the last couple weeks here. Y'all, this was a Category 2 storm. I don't want to belittle what has happened. There's devastation everywhere. But the people of God show up when a typhoon happens in Indonesia. The people of God show up when there are earthquakes and tornadoes. The people of God show up when there's fires And thank God for the strength that he gives us to persevere through these days. Look, are you tired? I'm tired right now. And if I'm tired, I know that you are. You've been working hard over the last several days. But just for a minute, I want you to look at the blessings that God has given you. The richness and the depth of the blessing of unity that God has given us when we come together. We're going to look at Psalm 133. It's a short psalm. There's only three verses. But there is so much depth in this psalm. If you were to open up your Bible and you were to read through, you would see a title at the top of each of the psalms. Usually it's one that it's attributed to uh, an author or there is a genre of psalms, okay? Typically the only time we use the word genre is when we're talking about a style of music, okay? But the psalms are, of course, there's a musical element to them, and the most common psalm is a psalm of individual lament, I want you to think about that for a second. What does that mean? Crying out to God for the needs that we have, an individual lament. 
Every one of us have probably had some kind of individual lament over the last couple of weeks. Every one of us have probably cried out to God, and I want you to know it's okay. It's okay to cry out to God. We see examples of that all throughout the scriptures, of people getting on their knees and pleading towards our Heavenly Father to meet our needs. In the psalm that we're going to be looking at today, it's a song of ascent. And this was, there's 15 of them in the book of Psalms. They're all relatively short. And these songs of ascent, uh, I want you to picture this. The people would come together as family units and communities, and they would come together and they would travel into Jerusalem towards Zion to worship the Lord for festivals that God has ordained. They're coming together, and as they're walking, I want you to picture this, as they're walking, they're singing songs of praise, of the goodness of God, of the provision of God, of how God has given them a way to live, uh, praising the Lord for the law that he's given them. Can you believe it? Praising God for his provision. In church, we need to come together, and we need to praise God out of unity today. Psalm 133. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down the collar onto his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Can we pray together? God, we come before you today as a weary people. God, we've been through a lot over the last several days, and that certainly does not take you by surprise. But God, we humbly thank you for your provision for us. God, the way that you've provided for us through this storm. God, you've given us opportunities to be the church, to advance your kingdom. And God, I pray that we would be reminded of our purpose in this moment. God, that you'd encourage our souls during this time. God, I pray that everything that we say and do and look at today would be your truth and not my opinion. And God, I pray that you would use it to refresh our souls in this moment. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This psalm of ascent is one of celebration. And it's praising the Lord for the richest of his blessings. I want you to think about that for just a second. The richness of the blessing that we have in unity, in friendship. If you think about your nearest and dearest friend, it may be someone that you see every day. I want you, seriously, think about them, picture them in your mind. Some of you, a smile may come to your face. You may think of someone who lives off. It may be someone who, if they walk through the door right now, you'd get up and you'd go hug their neck. That's not by accident. God created us to live in community to not be isolated or live uh, separated from the rest of the world, but to enjoy the company of other humans. Man, what a blessing that is that God created us to experience life that's bigger than ourselves. You know, I was talking to uh, one, of, one of my friends over in Louisiana. He's a youth pastor over there. Uh, I started interning in college. Let me back up a little bit. Started interning in college at a church, and he was a senior that year. Uh, one of the student leaders, and we became friends, and eventually he would come to uh, Mississippi College with me. We went through seminary together. One of my closest friends texted me two days after the storm and said, hey, I'll be there tomorrow in Alberta serving up some barbecue. 
Can I just tell you how much of a blessing it is to have friends who love you and your community enough to say, hey, I'm going to get up and leave and go serve, even if it's serving hot meals in your community? Man, what a joy it is to have brothers and sisters in Christ who care about you. We gloss over the blessings of God sometimes because we think that a sale or a deal on a vacation is God's blessing. Look, Let's not belittle what God bestows on us, the beauty of his glory that he sends to us in unity and friendships and salvation, okay? Let's praise the Lord for how good he is to us. Unity is a blessing from God. Unity is a blessing from God. Now, we need to get into a little bit what unity is for a second. Unity is a like-mindedness that is centered, and here it is centered in God, okay? It is centered in the cross of Christ. But if we were to read this verse and move on very quickly, we would miss a theological bombshell here, okay? Behold how good, behold how good. That is the same word that is in Hebrew that is used in Genesis chapter 1 when God is describing his creation. He created the heavens and the earth, and he created the vegetation, and he created the animals, and he created man, and he crafted woman, and he said, it is good. This is a part of God's plan. Unity is a part of God's plan for mankind. But guess what? It didn't take long for us to mess that up, did it? Genesis chapter 4, there's two brothers, Cain and Abel. Abel is a shepherd boy who's out in the field who's raising the sheep, and he makes a sacrifice to the Lord. His brother Abel, or his brother Cain, is tending the ground. He is growing crops, and he presents a sacrifice to the Lord. God is pleased with Abel's, and he's displeased with Cain's. And it shows the selfishness in Cain's heart that he raised up and killed his brother because he was upset that God was more pleased with him than his brother. Disunity can sneak into the church at a moment's notice. Disunity can sneak into the people of God so very quickly. And we're going to look at another example here of a moment of selfishness and self-pity. Look, can we just be honest and human for a second? We can be selfish and we can throw ourselves a pity party, okay? especially when a storm comes through and we've got some sticks in the yard. I don't want to belittle anything anybody's going through, but we're alive and we are so blessed by the Lord. But this is a psalm of David, a man who knew unity better than most. And I want you to see from his life that unity is worth fighting for. Okay, now David, who was a humble shepherd boy out in the field, The prophet Samuel comes to his father Jesse's house, and he's looking to anoint the next king of Israel. And he comes in, and they bring the oldest brother by. They bring five other brothers by. And Samuel looks at Jesse and says, do you have any other sons? You can go back and read read the scriptures. Jesse freaks out. Oh, He doesn't even think, oh, it's David. He, He starts to panic. And he sends out for the shepherd boy who his brothers made fun of, who was out in the field, who was forgotten. And they bring him in. And Samuel says, this is the man the Lord looks on the heart, not on what is outside. David is continually underestimated until he goes and he slays the giant Goliath, doing exactly what he was doing out in the field. He was a slinger who was skilled, who God was preparing beforehand for the task that was before him. But what happened after that? King Saul started to look at David 
The women are out singing in the street. Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his ten thousands. And hatred grew in Saul's heart, and he started to chase David, to hunt him down. And David was on the run. Where does unity come into this? David's best friend was Saul's son, Jonathan. They would communicate with each other. Jonathan would send word out, knowing that he was defying his own father because he knew that Saul's heart was far from God and David's was near. And he would send out warnings with archers. If they shot past the target, it was not safe to come. If they hit the target, it was. And the unity that they experienced together was a blessing from God. The scriptures say that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. What a beautiful picture of unity among God's people, that their souls were brought together for the sake of God's provision. Another group of men that David experienced uh, in unity with are called David's mighty men, and I was pointed on to this uh, not, not too long ago by, by the Starks, actually, and I was reading this passage a couple weeks ago, and this just immediately came to my mind. There's these three guys that David kept close to him. Josheb Basabeth. He wielded a spear and killed 800 enemies at one time. I want you to think about that. One guy with a spear went and killed 800 Philistines. The Philistines were some bad dudes, so I wouldn't want to cross Josheb, okay? Eleazar, a valiant warrior who struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary. Okay, the other guy got a number. This one didn't. It was just until he got tired, he killed the Philistines. Shema, who protected the food source of Israel from the Philistines. These are valiant warriors. And in this chapter, it goes on and it lists 37 of them. One of them's name is Benaniah. And if you read through uh, Benaniah's account, he would fall on men in a way that would kill them. I don't know what that means, but I don't want to experience it, okay? That's just a really strange thing in the Old Testament, but he was the hitman. They'd send him in to, to take people out. But the last, his name is on the screen, Uriah the Hittite. You may be sitting here going, he was one of David's, yes, Uriah the Hittite, the husband of Bathsheba, who David, in a moment of selfishness, looked out and saw something that he shouldn't have seen that harbored disunity among his mighty men. He sends word and brings Uriah back, and Uriah was so unified with David that he slept outside of the palace. He didn't fall for David's trap. But David sends him out into battle and has his other mighty men who are unified together back away from him, and he's killed in battle. I want you to see the urgency of unity in the body of Christ and how we have to fight against disunity coming into the walls of the church, coming into the family of God, because disunity leads to death, literally. That is what this psalm is getting at. Uh, It is worth fighting for. We have to live our lives in a way that we understand that we could fail at any moment. Unity does not happen by accident. Okay, look. I was talking with someone just this week about some men in the Southern Baptist Convention that have had some major moral failings. And I could name them and you'd probably know who I was talking about if you're into that world. Men that I'd sit in a room with and would listen to advice that they'd give me, things that they would speak uh, about, I would, I would so pay attention to. And I know their hearts, I know that they're seeking after the Lord, but in a moment's notice, it can all go away. 
In a moment's notice, disunity can come into your family. In a moment's notice, disunity can come into the church. And we have to be on guard because our enemy is not a flesh and blood. Our enemy is powerful, but our Savior is more powerful. Unity does not mean that we go along to get along. (laughs) I think this is the flip side of this coin. It doesn't mean that we agree on every idea out there, but it means we agree on the essentials. It means we agree that Jesus is the Son of God, the God-man, God in the flesh who gave his life for our sins. It means that God has given us absolute truth. He has spoken this to us. We don't need to add anything into it. This is efficient and this is enough. God has given the scriptures to us to teach us how to live and so much more. Pastor Tim will get into that a little bit more next week in Hebrews chapter 2, so you can come in next week and buckle your seatbelt, all right? My prayer for the Point Church is that we would be unified for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we would be unified for the truth of the scriptures that God has given us, that we would not have momentary lapses of judgment like King David had standing on his palace somewhere that he shouldn't have been anyway, but that we would be diligent in the way that we serve and the way that we seek the Lord, that we would live above reproach so that people on the outside of the faith would look at us and say, what is going on with that? I need to have what they have, that they would see the unity that we have as the body of Christ and that we can point directly towards the cross of Jesus as the source of that unity. And we're about to look at two powerful comparisons of unity to the blessings of God. Verse number two, it is like the precious oil on the head running down the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. Now, this is not just anointing oil that the psalm is speaking of, okay? This is not just olive oil that they would pray over one another for, but this was a specific oil. This was an oil that was used for consecration of the priests and the temple. You can go back into Exodus chapter 30, and you would see the very specific ingredient list that God gives to Moses as a master craftsman to put this oil together to prepare the priest Aaron, to prepare the tabernacle, to cleanse it for the worship of God. Now, here's the thing that we know about this oil. If we were to go and we were to read different ingredients that were in there, we would understand that they were not readily available. They were expensive, okay? Unity costs. Unity itself is expensive, but it's always worth it, okay? Here's some of the spices that were, that were in uh, this oil. Liquid myrrh, sweet-smelling cinnamon, aromatic cane, cassia, olive oil. All of these were expertly blended together for God's recipe. And by the way, at the end of that passage, God says, if any of you try to use this for anything else, I'm going to break you off from your people. God takes his worship very seriously, which means we need to take unity very seriously. There's a provision for unity in Matthew 18. You know, people misquote what that verse is talking about a lot, but it gets into church discipline. I've never had a conversation with anyone who is excited about enacting church discipline on somebody. It's just, it's something that we we don't like to do. I'm thankful that our church does practice church discipline because it's necessary to protect the unity of God's people. But in Matthew 18, you approach someone, you call them into repentance. 
Ultimately, that's a part of the corporate gathering. When we come together, we keep a short account of God. We'll take communion in a couple of weeks, and we'll have a moment before we take together, and we will confess our sin before the Lord. Unity costs, but it's always worth it. Unity costs us our pride. Unity costs us our selfishness. And guys, sometimes that hurts. Sometimes that hurts, but it's always worth it. This image of this oil that is being used, we don't have time to go through a verse-by-verse study through the book of Exodus right now. I just need you to take my word for it in this moment, okay? You can go back, Exodus chapter 30 and on, and you can read about the priestly garments. But this picture of oil is not of a limited oil, but of a flowing oil, okay? It comes down his head, onto his beard, and onto his clothes. Why is that important? The priestly garments represented all of the tribes of Israel or all of God's people. And as the priest is being anointed, as the, uh, as the objects in the tabernacle are being anointed, they are not just uh, cleansed themselves, but they are cleansed to bless everyone around them, to bless all of God's people. So just like everyone who was out here serving was not just working, they received a blessing from serving. Have you ever been on a mission trip before and you come back and you say, God ministered to my soul more than he did, uh, I think, to anybody else while we were there, okay? That's certainly been, uh, been my experience there, okay? As the people of God work in unity to serve people, others are blessed outside of that. We point everyone towards the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's such a beautiful picture here of this oil that is used to anoint Aaron, the first priest of Israel. Unity blesses the people of God far beyond those who are just directly involved. K.R. Washler says, Unity in a society is compared to the extravagant blessing of consecrating oil. Zion is the epitome of of blessing because there God commanded and appointed eternal life, alluding to what Christ accomplished in Jerusalem. If you thought that was good, I want you to look at verse number three. Verse number three with me. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Miss Lisa, I want you to put that picture of this mountain up on the screen. It's a little bit pixelated, but you can get an idea of what it is. There's a snow-capped mountain in Jerusalem. As far as, I, as far as I know, it's the only one. But there's this scientific thing that happens when the warm air from the bottom meets the snow coming from the mountain that creates a dew. And this dew runs down into a region called Galilee that is some of the most fertile land in all of the world. And this dew gives life and gives refreshment to the land and provides for the people who are there. So this image of unity being like this dew is that it is life-giving. It's worth it. It's expensive, but it's worth it because it is life-giving. Unity is refreshing to our souls. We are in need of refreshment today. We're in need of physical, mental, and spiritual refreshment We need unity in the Point Church. We need unity in the global church. And we need to lean onto the dew of Hermon for the life-giving refreshment that it gives us. And that ultimately for us points to Jesus. You know, this region that this dew brings life to is a region of Galilee where Jesus spent most of his ministry. 
And as Jesus is coming to the end of his ministry, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane in John chapter 17, and he has the high priestly prayer. He's looking death in the face. He knows what's going to happen. He knows he's about to be betrayed by one of his closest followers. He knows that he's going to be publicly publicly shamed. He knows he's going to be beaten. He knows the people who followed him from place to place to see his miracles were going to turn his back, turn their back on him and yell crucify him when he's compared to a murderous man named Barabbas. But even though Jesus knows that all of that is about to take place, he's not praying for himself. He's praying for you and he's praying for me. And if you don't believe me, John chapter 17, we're going to look at verses 20 through 23. This is Jesus' prayer in this, in this moment. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world would know that you sent me and love them, even as you loved me. As Jesus is staring death in the face, as he understands that he's about to bear the weight of mankind on his shoulders, he's praying for you and he's praying for me that we would be unified together so that the world would know that he is who he says he is, that the world would understand that the gift of salvation only comes through the death, burial, and resurrection that would follow this prayer. Church, we have got to come together and be unified for the sake of the gospel. In Jesus' prayer, he says, Father, as you are in me and I are in, am in you. It's this picture of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, distinct but unified together. That's the picture of what the church should be, of like-minded unity of the plan that God had in Genesis, of looking at it and saying, this is good. Unity is something that is good. It is great. It is a blessing from God that we should strive together for. How good and pleasant is it when brothers dwell in unity? The divided and hostile world desperately needs the unifying power of the good news of Jesus Christ who gave of himself so that we could live. The world needs the unifying power of the cross of Jesus in this moment. And this unity is modeled by God himself in perfect relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Just as Jesus was sent from heaven to earth, just as the anointing oil flows down the face and onto the robe, just as the dew comes from the mountain to the earth, the gift of salvation comes to us from heaven. What a beautiful image of the blessings of God. They are so rich and so deep and so wonderful. We just have to open our eyes to see them. Y'all, we are so blessed in this moment. <laughs> We're so blessed for our families and for our friends, for unity that can only be found through the cross of Christ. Unity is a blessing from God. It is worth fighting for. It always costs, but it's always worth it. It's always worth it. 
and unity is refreshing to our souls. We have to come together in this moment for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you bow your head where you're sitting? I'd like to just wrap up with a couple of thoughts here, and then we'll pray together and we'll sing, and Pastor Tim will come. But as we close, I can't help but wonder that there may be someone in the room who's allowed disunity to sneak into your home or to your friendships or even into the body of Christ. And my prayer is that in this moment, the Spirit of God would convict you to take hold of your attitude, that you'd be able to make that right in this moment. Remember, unity robs us of our selfishness, and when we humble ourselves before a holy God, our selfishness is, out, is totally out of the way. Again, unity does not mean agreeing on everything all the time. There's times when we have to put a stake in the ground for what God has commanded us, for what he has told us in his word. But unity always means putting our sinful pride behind us and reaching for the richest blessing that God has for us in unity among the brethren. When Psalms was written, Jesus had not yet come in the form of a man, but he would, and he would bring with him the richest blessing the world has ever seen. Salvation through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And church, he's in control now. Even in the midst of a storm, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. If you've not put your faith and trust in Jesus today, I would just plead with you to humble yourself, confess your sins, confess Jesus as Lord in this moment. There's no magic words, you just cry out to the Father. Pastor Tim and I will be down at the front of the room when we conclude our service. If that's you, I want you to come and talk to us. Come let us know what God is speaking in your soul. And we'd love to pray with you. Christians, my prayer is also that you would experience the fullness of unity. One of life's greatest blessings given to us by our Heavenly Father who loves us so much. He is the Father of lights. Every good gift comes from the Father above. God, we thank you in this moment for the gift of unity. It is like precious oil on the head, running down the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountain of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing of life forevermore. God, we thank you for this gift of unity that you have blessed your people with. That we have a small glimpse of heaven through it when we experience unity. And God, we pray in this moment that you would protect the point church of disunity. Lord, that it would, we would be a people who stay on the mission that you have called us to, which is loving people to the point of life. Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that the person in the room who you're convicting in this moment, Lord, would humble themselves and 
God, whether that makes is making amends or an apology to someone. God, that we would rebuke disunity from our lives and that we would humble ourselves before you in this moment. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.